This summer, L.L. Bean invites you to simply step outside and enjoy the fresh air and sunshine. We'll be your guide with tips and advice to get more out of every moment outdoors. Here's one. Next time you go camping, add some zip to the zippers on your tent by rubbing them with wax. Goodbye, noisy, sticky zippers. Hello, smooth pulling gear. For more fun ideas, easy how-tos, and inspiring stories, visit llbean.com guide. National monuments are some of our nation's most controversial lands. On April 26, 2017, President Trump signed an executive order to review 27 national monuments, calling them, quote, superstitious land grabs and an abusive use of the Antiquities Act, suggesting he might reduce or abolish them completely. He went on to issue proclamations that reduced two national monuments, Grand Staircase Escalante and Bears Ears, and shortly thereafter, President Biden reinstated the former boundaries of both monuments when coming to office. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, we talk with Mackenzie Long, whose book, This Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments, shares her visits to 13 national monuments established within the last 25 years. It's an eye-opening exploration of the stories these natural sites tell, the passions they stir, and the controversies surrounding them today. Rather than sharing a politically charged argument, she tries to get to the heart of the conflict. She provides readers with her personal experience recreating in these spaces and talking with those who care for them. She describes volunteering near the most contaminated nuclear site in the U.S., skiing to a backcountry hut in Maine to see a truly dark night sky snorkeling in warm Hawaiian waters, and talking to people about their love for the Rio Grande. She discusses issues of climate change, indigenous history and rights, and the tensions between economic development and environmental conservation, all while bringing to life the complicated and often overlooked stories of national monuments in a way that's timely, relevant, and even urgent. Mackenzie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to start by asking you about your journey into national monuments and what sort of drew you to the idea of a national monument and exploring them as a subject matter for a book. I originally came to this topic through rock climbing. I had spent multiple years, a month every spring and fall, going to Indian Creek, which is in the Utah desert near Moab. And... I just fell in love with that place so much. I'm spending time there, seeing how the light changes the desert, really enjoying the climbing there. And then in 2016, President Obama designated Bears Ears, which is a really large national monument in Utah, and it included that part of the desert where I had been climbing. And at the time, I didn't really know what a national monument was or what the designation meant for that area that I had been spending so much time. So being curious, I started looking into what a monument was and what it meant. And I realized that there wasn't that much out there about national monuments. There's a lot of media about national parks, which your podcast can attest to. And it's well-deserved. National parks are beautiful and spectacular places. But I learned that monuments actually encompass over 10 times as much area as national parks, but they get much fewer visitors, and they often have 
controversy attached to them. And so the more I looked into it, the more interesting I found it. And I thought these somewhat overlooked places actually have very complex and layered stories. And I was interested to learn more about these different places in our country and the stories behind them and the people connected to them. I think your experience parallels a heck of a lot of people and that there's a lot of confusion about what a national monument is. A lot of people think it's the Statue of Liberty, right? They think a monument is a physical thing. <laughs> but as you mentioned, it couldn't be further from the truth. So what makes uh, officially something a, a national monument? How are they created? I think the Statue of Liberty actually is classified as a national monument, but most mm -hmm. national monuments are more park-like natural land areas, just like you said. And the difference between a monument and a park is primarily in the way that they're created. Congress approves national parks by a vote, and that requires broad public support. But under the authority of the Antiquities Act, a president can declare a national monument by proclamation, and it doesn't require any consensus, and therefore can be done quickly and I think in practice, often there is a lot of support behind a monument, but it seems like it's just one person making the decision, and with a stroke of a pen, they're creating a monument. And I think that's why they, there's often controversy around them, because states will often feel like it's the federal government telling them what to do. That's the main difference, is the way they're created. Monuments also are slightly different than parks in that they're, they are established to protect something specific. When a president signs and creates the proclamation, it lists specific things that are supposed to be protected. And those can be geologic formations, it can be rivers or waterways, it can be specific habitat. But then when the management plan is created, those things are prioritized over tourism or other things that parks might focus on a little bit more as a president is the person is the sole person who defines a national monument a new national monument and the scope of that i can imagine how that could bring up controversy but we've seen in recent years a lot of controversy around that so what are some of the problems facing monuments and what are some of the sort of polarized views that are causing people to uh I don't know, get get upset, get political, get embroiled in controversy <laughs> over the creation of these lands. You're right. The biggest issue facing monuments lately has been the politics surrounding their creation. And I think that this is also tied to a little bit of tension between economic development versus environmental conservation of land. President Obama created more monuments by proclamation than any previous president. So then when President Trump took over, he took issue with this a little bit. And so he reduced the size of two monuments in Utah and removed fishing restrictions from a marine monument in the Atlantic, northeast canyons and seamounts. And when he did that, no one was quite sure if the president actually had the authority to do that. It was not really something that was precedented. The Antiquities Act, which is the law that allows the president to create monuments, does not make it clear if the president can also undo a monument in the same way. Legal precedent typically leaves decisions like that that undo a previous president's work to Congress. And Congress can definitely redraw boundaries and reduce the size of things. But it was unclear if a president could, by proclamation, change the size of a monument. 
So there were a lot of lawsuits that were filed. Some people were really happy about President Trump's decision. Some people were very upset. A few more years go by, President Biden takes office, and he reverses things again by restoring all three monuments that Trump altered, again by proclamation. And so right now, it seems as though monuments are vulnerable to the whims of whichever political party is in power, and it makes them feel a little bit transient. And it would be nice if there was a way to resolve this issue so that the status of monuments doesn't continue to ping pong back and forth. And I think like diving a little bit deeper into where this conflict comes from and why there's such a back and forth is I think that often people that oppose monuments see them as infringing on a state's ability to generate income from things such as mining, logging, ranching, other types of development on the land. And whereas people that support monuments see it as a way of protecting fragile habitat, environments that are threatened, also protecting land that has deep cultural significance to indigenous people, and just as a way of leaving more land undeveloped in our country that can then have effects such as perhaps helping combat climate change and things like that. And so it's tough because a healthy economy is definitely a very important thing to a state and its citizens, but protecting land is also an important thing. And so these are the two things that end up coming head to head and why the size of the monuments ends up becoming such a big issue for a lot of people. I suppose there's probably a level two of the federal government stepping in, particularly the president, probably because a state has not. So if a state is unwilling to protect some land, whether that be through their state park system or what have you, and a president then comes in and does it, I imagine there, that is a big political conflict above the personal conflict of the local people that live and work in those areas. Yeah, there's definitely a state's rights versus federal authority tension going on. And there's also this sense of the big guy in the White House telling the little people what to do with land where they live, where they make their living, where they spend every day. And I could, I definitely understand this feeling of being like, well, has the president ever even been here? Does he know what this place is like? How can he possibly tell us what to do with this land where people have been living there for generations? And yeah, I definitely think that on a personal level, that's where some of the frustration comes from. And then state politicians also really don't like the federal government coming in and telling them what to do. Though monuments are only created from land that's already under federal management of some type. So monuments are established on BLM land, like Bureau of Land Management land, or uh, U.S. Forest Service land, or other types of federally managed land. So it doesn't actually change ownership. Nothing about a monument changes ownership. It only changes its management status and therefore its level of protection. So if something, gotcha. for instance, a lot of the land that became Bears Ears was, it was both BLM and Forest Service land, but BLM will often allow mining and grazing and a lot of different extractive uses on the land, whereas a national monument tends to be a lot more restrictive. Often a new monument will allow all of the same things to continue on land that were there before. So if there's already established mining or water rights or grazing, that can usually continue. 
but new leases for mining are then prohibited. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick break for a message from our favorite place to search for the best campground for your national park adventures, Campendium. Campendium lists virtually every campground in North America and every type of campsite you can imagine. From remote backcountry tent sites to RV parks with water slides and pickleball courts, you can search by price, including free or by cell service, elevation, whether pets are allowed. Dozens of different search filters will bring you detailed user reviews so you can find the best campsite for your trip. Campendium is free at campendium.com or on the app, and you can upgrade to a RoadPass Pro membership to unlock an ad-free experience with more detailed cell service reports, public land map overlays, trail maps, and more. A RoadPass Pro membership also includes other premium apps like Togo RV and Road Trippers. Visit Campendium.com or download the app today and save $10 off a RoadPass Pro membership with code RVMILES10X. So you, your book, The Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments, goes really deep into this. And in order to write this book, you actually went on a journey to several monuments, right? Yeah. I visited all of the monuments that I discuss in my book, and it made a big difference to be able to see each place in person, talk to people that are close to these places and care about them and really getting to experience the landscapes was extremely important to me. I went to, there's two monuments in Utah, Grand Staircase Escalante and Bears Ears, which are maybe the most controversial ones that people have heard of. I went to Katahdin Woods and Waters in Maine. There was several I visited in California, Sand to Snow in Southern California and Berryessa Snow Mountain in Northern California. I went to Hanford Reach in Washington, Cascade Siskiyou in Oregon. And I guess there is one monument that I didn't quite visit. It's Papahanaumokuakea in Hawaii. And that one is a marine monument, so it consists mostly of ocean. And that one is actually closed to the public. The entire purpose of that monument is for ecological preservation. And I decided that trying to go there when it's close to the public is counter to my goals for this book anyway. So I did go to Hawaii and I spoke to marine biologists and I learned as much about the wildlife there as I could without actually going out to the ocean where that monument is. So how is visiting actually going to a national monument different than visiting a national park? Most parks tend to have a lot of visitor infrastructure, visitor centers and trails with signs that tell you what you're looking at and explaining history and things like that. Whereas most national monuments are pretty rugged. There's not a lot of infrastructure. Some of them do have visitor centers, but most of them don't. Often not even signed trailheads. There's not very many campgrounds. So often if you go to one such as Basin and Range in Nevada, you almost wouldn't even know that you're in a national monument. You might pass a sign that says you're going into it, but there's not really anything there directing any type of recreation. To get there means driving on dirt roads for long distances, bringing your own water, camping in primitive sites, and learning what there is to see for yourself, and hiking on backcountry trails that are not very well marked. So for the more adventurous, it's probably a, a way to see some of our 
really beautiful landscapes while getting away from the crowds. But for folks who want a more guided experience, sometimes it might be a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And some monuments like Grand Staircase that might be one of the most popular national monuments. There is a visitor center there and it's a little bit easier to learn about hikes and such there. So if people are interested in seeing monuments and don't want to do a ton of research, there's some places that are a little bit more accessible. But yeah, it, most monuments require a little bit more adventure and self-sufficiency than your average national park. So what are some of the takeaways that you want people to have from reading the book is it are you are you advocating for a certain point of view or is this more of an exploration of just the problems and things that the monument system is fraught with it mostly is an exploration of the issues surrounding monuments but the biggest thing that i learned while working on this book and i think that the takeaway message i would like people to take with it is just to have a deeper understanding of how people and places are connected. I firmly believe that people can love places just as much as they can love other people. And I really experienced firsthand how passionate people can be about protecting places or how deeply someone can care about a place. So sometimes I think this love of place comes from being born somewhere. Sometimes it comes from someone's ancestors being from that area and having roots that go back hundreds or even thousands of years. And sometimes it can be encountering a place that's completely new and someone just falls head over heels for it. And so while researching this book, I talked to scientists, recreationists, indigenous people, public land advocates, people who oppose monuments, and they all had the same thing in common, which was an intense love for the place that we were discussing. And I think that as we move forward as a country and as a people, we need to consider our relationship to the land around us and how we can live with and on this land without completely destroying it. And I think monuments present a really interesting way to look at that relationship. One of the issues that our country is facing is climate change. <laughs> it's really hot here in California and we have wildfires raging. It's really smoky outside. And so one thing that scientists believe could combat climate change is protecting more land. And I know that President Biden and Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, they've been promoting a 30 by 30 plan to protect 30% of American land and water by 2030. And their hope is that will help with climate change and some other environmental issues. And I think monuments could be a tool to reaching that goal. And I think that there's a lot of ways that monuments could actually be a way forward for our country because politics are so divided right now. It takes Congress a really long time to do anything. And protecting land is probably not high on the priority list. And monuments, since they can be done quickly, might allow a little more flexibility and maneuverability in trying to reach some environmental goals. Again, the book is titled This Contested Land, The Storied Past and Uncertain Future of America's National Monuments. You can pre-order it now from the University of Minnesota Press. Mackenzie, where can we find you on the internet? I have a website, mackenzielong.com. My name is spelled M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. 
L-O-N-G. I have a little bit of a social media presence, but not all that much. But you could probably find me on Instagram if you wanted. <laughs> all right. Mackenzie Long, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. If you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. And by Campendium. Find listings and reviews for thousands of campsites for your next national park adventure at Campendium.com.